All right, a couple random things I want to read. Uh, I think you'll be interested, or I, I'm interested. It's an article on LifeSite News. The title of the article is, The newest James Bond movie is Hollywood showing us what global elites are up to. It's all part of a desensitization program so that when society truly crashes and burns, everyone will be so stunned they won't be able to fight back. Okay, so that's the title and the, and the underline. So, to the ordinary COVID-jabbed, corporate news-consuming American, the new James Bond film is an action-packed fitting end to Daniel Craig's tenure as a womanizing double-O British spy agent. To keen observers of the global effort currently underway to eradicate human rights and usher in a worldwide dictatorship, the film is yet another instance of Hollywood showing us what sinister elites are doing before our very eyes and laughing at us for not picking up on it. Without giving away too many details, well, I'm certainly not going to go to this thing. I wish you'd give away all the details, but anyway. <laughs> Without giving away too many details, No Time to Die is about a bad guy who creates a bioweapon that can attack people based on their genetic composition. People that become affected acquire nanorobots in their bloodstream. They, in turn, become carriers of the virus, which they can spread to others they come in contact with. Aside from being pretty much like every other Bond film, the plot of this one follows almost to a T what's happening in our world today with COVID-19, even though the movie was developed before the virus was a thing. Just like in the movie, people are having major adverse reactions to mysterious ingredients. They're then getting booster shots that some researchers believe allow them to infect others and can increase their chances of dying due to heart issues in a compromised immune system. Hollywood has been grooming the U.S. and global public for decades with its movies, or should I say indoctrination films. Dystopian flicks like Contagion, I Am Legend, Perfect Sense, and many, many others have similar virus-themed storylines that mirror the events going on today. Marvel and other superhero movies are also a clever Hollywood tool used to get normal people to forget about the real, spiritually edifying heroes of history, missionaries, saints, martyrs and to develop a cult-like following of leftist A-list celebrities. There's a rather telling scene about three-quarters of the way through No Time to Die when Bond comes face-to-face with the bad guy. They have a brief but highly enlightening conversation about why he's doing what he's doing. Bond tries to convince him of his evil ways, but he responds by saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, that most people want to be told what to do and let things happen to them, and that men like him are supposed to create their reality for them. To me, that conversation was the most illuminating part, not just of this film, but of what Hollywood is generally up to these days, hubristically working in concert with the deep state and others to telegraph to a blind public what's going to happen to them. This is all part of a large-scale desensitization program so that when society truly crashes and burns, everyone will be so stunned they won't be able to fight back. Everyone will be saying how this is just like the movies, without realizing they were being brainwashed all along to get to that point. My advice... Take Hollywood at its word. Prepare for what they keep telling us is going to happen as soon as you can. It's not random that they know this stuff and they make movies about it. But it's a really satanic type thing because of the way the devil and his minions are to try to rub it in. And y'all are so stupid we've been telling you all along. So that's really that sort of a thing. Anyway, so I thought that was of note. Then I got the new data. Uh, so data released Friday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention showed that between December 14, 2020 and October 1, 2021, a total of 778,685 adverse events following COVID vaccines were reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Report System, VAERS. 
The data included a total of 16,310 reports of deaths, an increase of 373 over the previous week. There were 111,921 reports of serious injuries, including deaths during the same period, up 6,163 compared with the previous week. Then it says excluding foreign reports, whatever that means, filed in VAERS, 593,728 adverse events, including 7,437 deaths, and 47,455 serious injuries were reported in the U.S. between December 14, 2020 and October 1, 2021. Of the 7,437 U.S. deaths reported as of October 1st, 11% occurred within 24 hours of vaccination, 16% occurred within 48 hours of vaccination, and 29% occurred in people who experienced an onset of symptoms within 48 hours of being vaccinated. Now, what's interesting is on the, the CDC site itself, uh, you have, uh, they did a study, they had Harvard Commission do a study on, on a bear study, at the time, a few years ago, they concluded that it's got roughly 1% of, of the actual vaccine problems are reported. If let, Let's say 50% are reported. 50% would be uh, 30-some thousand deaths. Well, if it's 1%, that's 1.6 million deaths. So this is really what we're dealing with with these people, and it's full steam ahead. We just need to be aware that the devil is up to something and we're in God's hands and we better rely on him. So that's really what I want to talk about uh, given that we, uh, we're we living in this persecution. that It's already, they're already killing people and it is a persecution. People are manipulated so much with the spirit of fear and the faith is very weak and of course, unfortunately, our leaders, especially in the church, are are part of the problem, not part of the solution right now. So we pray that some of them uh, snap out of it. But in, in spite of that, this is the situation we're in, so we just have to trust God in the first place and rely on Him. But in terms of weapons and and things to do, I'll just talk about it. So I have some things, and it, this shouldn't take a whole long time, but I think it's very important, so it doesn't matter if I talk for a very long time. Obviously, in the, uh, the rosary has to have a primary uh, place in everybody's life. And Sister Lucia told us in her last public interview, it was in 1957, with her last public interview before she was silenced, but she told us that Our Lady had attached a particular grace to the rosary in these times. It's certainly true. Anybody that's serious about the rosary will experience that. So we have to put the rosary right up at the top of our, of our weapons. We should. That's what Padre Pio used to call it, his weapon. And we should think like that too with the rosary. In terms of the sacraments, Mass with communion and confession. When we go to Holy Mass, you should always fix your intention. You should have an intention, like the priest has an intention when he's saying Mass, that he's saying Mass for intentions, typically in the bulletin or whatever. Uh, but it's also for everybody else. That's why he says, Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Father Almighty, because it's your sacrifice too. So when you're at Holy Mass, or when you send your angel to Mass with an intention, put your intention on the host, when he's at the offertory, and that water, when he's poured into the wine, stands for your intentions. So put your intention in that. Just when you're there, you just prayerfully fix your intentions. But have an intention and have a default. So in case you're distracted or sick or tired, your default is that you have a holy death, and your your family, your children have holy deaths. So that that way, that's always covered. If, in case you just forgot, you didn't forget because it's covered. Your angel will take care of that. So mass 
and confession, frequent confession. Padre Pio used to upbraid his penitents, not the people that came from all over, but his regular penitents. If they went longer than 10 days, he'd say, you know, he'd upbraid them. Because with confession, not only do we get our sins forgiven, not only do we get graces to, to quit falling into those faults and, and so forth, we also get more sanctifying grace. And uh, that's what we're shooting for. We grow in holiness. Now, what about when, when the, everything shuts down or the way things are going and all of a sudden we don't have a priest or these things aren't available? That's what's super good to, to remember, to make spiritual communions. That's what people have always done in persecutions, is make a spiritual communion and spend the time with Thanksgiving because our Lord will come to you. He'll give you all those graces. I can't remember which one of the saints uh, our Lord appeared to, but he had, he had a gold chalice and a silver chalice. He appeared to the saint with all these graces. And he said the gold chalice stood for all her sacramental communions and the silver chalice stood for all her spiritual communions. He said he was very pleased with both. It's a pleasing thing. The next most pleasing thing to to our, our Lord being received worthily in a heart sacramentally is to him to be received spiritually into heart, the worthy heart. So spiritual communions. And what if we can't get to confession? That's where acts of perfect contrition are super important. Now, you would think sometimes all the books on this have been written by Jansenists. I, I can't believe it. Well, not all of them, but I mean some of the stuff you read, especially in the popular literature, as if it's the hardest thing in the world, as if it'd be easier to go barefoot up Mount Everest. Acts of perfect contrition are not hard to make, but you have to get in the habit of making them. Now, I preached a sermon on this. You can find on, on those sites where those are at. So I, I'd recommend that. That you, that you listen to that because it gives how to lead other people in an act of perfect contrition too. So I go through how to lead a Protestant. You don't call it an act of perfect contrition. When they're dying, how can you help them have a holy death and get their sins forgiven since they don't even know about confession? But they can get their sins forgiven because they know enough. They believe our Lord is the Savior. In order to be saved, the content of faith, you have to believe there's one God, there's three persons in the one God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second person, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, became man and died for our sins. God rewards the good and punishes the evil. Now, we want to know more than that, but that's sufficient to be saved. Well, hello, Protestants know that. So we can help them. And I have had people help them. There's a whole sermon on how to do this, but basically you don't use Catholic words. I'll just give you the... They're dying. You don't want to confuse them or cause them to be pulled back and think you're trying to trick me and make me a Catholic right now. Of course we are. We're always trying to do that, but not trick me-wise. We want them to die in the state of grace. We don't have to worry about these things like quick get the priest. They don't want to see the priest. I mean, if they want to see the priest, quick get the priest if he's around. I'm not against that. I'm a priest. I've done it. But I have had the grace to be at deathbed conversions. But that's not how it typically works. But what we want to do is make sure they get saved insofar as God can use their instruments. So what do you do? They're weak. And the last thing to go, by the way, is the hearing. So you can talk quietly even if they can't speak. And people can squeeze your finger and you can communicate with them. And they will. I've done this because we work with dying people. Speak slowly. Not like I do. You have to speak slowly. What you do is say, I'll pray for you if you want. Pray in your name. They don't have to agree to that, but that's really helpful. I'll pray in your name. And so they just say, uh, Jesus, I, I love you. I, have mercy on me. I'm sorry for any ways I've ever, ever offended you. Now, no Protestant's going to recoil from that. And, and say, I'll pray for you. If they say, okay, or squeeze, then you just keep saying those kind of prayers. If they're sorry for all their sins, that's what you need. 
Because that's what God's looking for. And say, so I love you, have mercy on me, I'm sorry for any of the ways I've ever offended you in my whole life. And he'll forgive them. That's what you want. For us, the way to practice is really put yourself at the foot of the cross and sit there while our Lord's dying, and you can ask yourself, why is he there? He's dying. He's dying for me. Why? Because of my sins. And so you think about that for a little while, and then just slowly make an act of contrition. That'll be an act of perfect contrition. And just practice doing that, because we should get in the habit. And acts of perfect contrition forgive all your sins, even mortal sins. As Catholics, we know if we have mortal sins, and we hadn't confessed them, the act of perfect contrition will forgive them, but the next time we're around a priest, we need to confess them. That's how that works. But they'll be forgiven. God forbid, but if we ever commit a mortal sin, we want to do this right away, as soon as we come to our senses, and do it over and over, and hopefully get to a priest. But if not, we're covered. And by the way, when somebody's dying that's a Catholic, if you anoint them, they've had contrition for their sins at any point in time, it's all forgiven, because that's another thing that... that, uh, case where you don't have to confess your sins because you're laying there dying. You can't if it, sometimes when you're when you're dying and the priest is there to, to anoint you. You're laying on the road die, bleeding out. As long as they're sorry, they could have had a pretty rough life, but as long as they've made act of contrition, uh, they're going to be forgiven. So anyway, that's really important. Spiritual convenience and acts of perfect contrition. These are things to know for persecutions, which we are in. And so... Uh, we want to know that. We want to know how to help other people. And in this sermon, I talk about how to help uh, people that aren't Christian. You know, a little more challenging, but God's looking for the salvation of all men, so we do what we can. All right. Well, what other things uh, that, that we can do? Consecrate yourself and everybody who has children, your children, to Our Lady, and do that daily. Just keep giving them to Our Lady. Give, place yourself that way, but your children, especially in this day and age, it's, it's very rare to have a family where all the children are the way they ought to be. But you just keep consecrating to Our Lady and say they're yours, you take care of them, and you trust her because you can't have a better mother than that. So that's really super important. All right. This is going to be sort of a random order. In terms of protecting you from uh, demonic attacks and people from that, there's a little thing called the Exim Christianorum. You can get it online. The Exim Christianorum is just Latin for Aid of Christians, but it's A-U-X-I-L-I-U-M, and then Christian with the O-R-U-M. Auxilium Christianorum. A-U-X-I-L-I-U-M Christianorum. So that's uh, super useful. To join it, you just... There's no commitments at all. You pray the prayers, and if you don't pray the prayers, it's not. there's nothing wrong. But you're in, in a group of people all over the world praying those prayers, and not just in English. They're in plenty of different languages. There's strength in uh, a lot of prayer like that. So that's a good thing to help, to help protect us. Obviously, our sacramentals are super important. To have blessed salt around the house, get a priest to bless some salt, uh, have some holy water. I think it's a good idea to have a spray bottle, a little spray bottle. People have temptations or whatever, just one of those little spray bottles. They, you know, by the bed or whatever, they can just mist it, and, and the knuckleheads have to go back to hell where they belong, at least uh, at that time. St. Trellis water and St. Malo water and bread, you can get priests to bless those for you. And uh, the St. Trellis water is, is uh, for for health, you just drink it. And it's also for pregnant women so that the baby will live to see baptism. So that's uh, really, really useful. 
and I have plenty of stories on that that I, well, I'll just, I'll just, a couple of them right now. It's in the Roman ritual. It's water blessed in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Trellis Confessor. In any way, uh, it's a really short little blessing. One of my priest friends called me up years ago and said, wow, you got to, this is just great. And he told me about two miracles he'd had by blessing that water and having people take it. So I, I had that in my mind. I, it was Thanksgiving weekend. I got a call to go to the hospital for, for somebody, you know. So I showed up there. It was like a ghost town walking to this big hospital. And I get up there to the room, and here's some woman, I'd, mother of four. The, the children weren't there. She'd be in her middle 30s uh, and just balder in a boiled peach. There was nothing left on her, kind of puffed up, all this. She's the terminal end of some kind of cancer, which I don't remember anymore. And there she is and her, and her husband. They've been crying and and so forth, and they just want to talk to a priest. She'd already been anointed. So we, we talked, and we were sitting there talking, and I saw she had a IV going in. I looked at it, saline water. I said, do you mind if I make this into holy water, kind of holy water? She said, no. So I did that uh, St. Trellis water, and she went into remission and left the hospital and kept raising her family. Anyway, that's just one of many of those kind of stories. That's the very first time I made it. I said, note to self, let's do this again. <laughs> it's been amazing, so I, I can, can't say enough good about that. And St. Malo, it's Machutus in the Roman ritual. If a priest isn't sure what it is, it's a strange, it's Machutus. So everybody that uh, reads Dutch can find it pretty easy, but all the rest of us, it takes a little while. It's Malo is what you'd find him. So you need an, an, a picture of him, like an icon to, to bless him. And so you just, you can, it's easy to find St. Malo uh, icons, images on a a search, and they just print it out because the signs of the cross and that blessing are done with that. Anyway, that, it's an easy blessing, but just that's more information because the poor priest will say, who's St. Machutus and how do I get a picture? It's St. Malo, M-A-L-O. In the corners of your yard, in the corners of your property, I would suggest taking a little Ziploc bag, and putting a, a blessed St. Benedict's medal and a pinch of blessed salt. There's other things I put in it usually, but we don't need to get in everything that I do. And take those in a Ziploc bag, because that way the salt will be there. And uh, just kind of punch a hole in there and, 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 and drop those into the hole and stomp it in. So those things are buried. And then you kind of set a perimeter. I put a St. Benedict's medal, blessed one, over your front door on the inside. Because uh, you don't want the devils in your house and... For some reason, if you just do it over the main entrance, it kind of protects the whole camp. So that keeps St. Benedict keeping those clowns away. And that's got exorcism on those medals, so that's uh, really good. Blessed chalk. If you get a priest to bless your chalk at Epiphany and put up uh, the blessing, that it's in the ritual, but it, it invokes the Magi, St. Casper, Melchior, and Balthazar protecting your camp. Those are the things that I would say in terms of sacramentals when I'm thinking about that, and I have that. In terms of like particular attacks, if a person thinks they're under attack or suspects that they are under attack, one of the things uh, the, you you want to send the evil back. So here's a prayer, and I'll probably read it a couple times. But Jesus and Mary, I ask that if it be your holy will, then any curses or evil sent against me be sent back from whence they came. So Jesus and Mary. I ask that if it be your holy will, that any curses or evil sent against me be sent back from whence they came. So, pretty easy. And then, if there's anything, 
you know, like any particular area, like it's your imagination, you can't get pictures out of your imagination or your hearing or whatever it might be. You consecrate the different areas to Our Lady. So you just consecrate them. Bless the Mother, I consecrate my imagination to you or my hearing or my sight or whatever it is. See? And then you can make a spiritual contract. You just ask our, 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 your angel and Our Lady to renew that consecration every time that situation happens. Another thing you can do is just order in the holy names of Jesus and Mary, the enemy has to give glory to Our Lady every time they attack you or tempt you. Well, that's pretty ugly to those clowns. Uh, and we have to pray. Now, one of the things... So we have to pray. But one of the things is the more urgent a situation seems, diabolical situation seems, the slower you need to respond to it. So, I mean, obviously, if a car just went off a cliff, kaboom. So we're not talking about car wrecks and stuff like that. But anything where you think it's really, really urgent, that means it's really, really not urgent. It's urgent that you don't do something. It's urgent that you just need to pause, pray, relax, and go have a cold one. Uh, And I mean that. I'm not even joking. Because the devil is going to try to get you all agitated and to do a bunch of stuff, and it's all just stupid, and you're going to get in a big trap real quick. Because a lot of this is humility. A lot of times we just have to be beat up, and people have to realize that. Even exorcists get to get beat up. So, I mean, we have to be humble and just realize that the devil's attacking us. We do what we can, and then we just suffer what we have to, but we don't expect that we just get to go through this bulletproof and stomping on them all like like we're some kind of superhero or something like that. We have to be humble. If something's late at night, wait till the morning. You have your little holy water and spray. It's the devil's playground at night. It's, so just wait till the morning. Relax, go have a cold one, pray something. Light a blessed candle. Blessed candles are good to have. Uh, you don't even have to light them and they, and they keep stuff away because that's how the blessing works. But if it's really a dramatic night, then just light a blessed candle and go to bed. I mean, that's that's what you have to do. So I think those are really, really super important principles is don't, get in a rush to do anything and pray and pray and if it seems real serious then be even less of a rush to do it Father Ripperger has a book called Deliverance Prayers for the Faithful and that's a good book people can and should have around because they can kind of flip through that depending on the situation but they should always do the prayer protection and when they're using that book they should do the prayer to protection before they do anything else and then kind of flip around Oh, it'd also be good at sacramentals, blessed olive oil. You know, if you have a temptation to sign a cross on your head or whatever, and plus it's blessed to, so if you have a sore, let's say you have a sore elbow, you just take some of that olive oil and anoint yourself on the elbow. You know, just a little sign of the cross and rub it in, or a stomach ache on your belly, sign of the cross and do that. You can cook with it, and it's all good to go. It keeps away devils and it, it helps you uh, with your health as well. I'd say that's super, super important. And if you haven't enthroned your home to the Sacred Immaculate Hearts, and your property too, insofar as you have a farm or ranch or something like that, you should enthrone it to them because we want them to be the king and queen of of our place, not whatever else is, happens to be running around, loping around in whatever county we're living in because most of the stuff loping around you don't want on your place. So, I'd say that. What else? In Father Ripperger's book, there's probably stuff on this, because I don't have it. I have different stuff, priest-type things. But you should be aware that if you have Masonic 
people in your family tree that you're descended from Masons or Eastern Star people, you want to do some blessings and renouncements of that. And there are special prayers written just for that. That may not be a, a problem, but I've had to deal with it a lot depending on the families. And if they renounce it, that kind of severs that kind of a mess. All right. In terms of eating and drinking, we have to start the end because we actually live in a pagan world. So if you're at a restaurant and all that, you don't have to ask. If you're at somebody's house, you don't have to ask. I can't remember which one. St. Paul writes about it, maybe in Colossians. I don't remember. You know, you eat what's put before you, and you say, but you say grace. But if somebody tells you that it's uh, it's been consecrated something, I'll be specific here in a minute, then you can't eat it, you know, because all of a sudden we're in a different thing. So like, for example, if you're eating farm lamb, you're going to be good to go, or one of your neighbors. But if you buy it at the store, it's all halal. In this country, it's all halal. And you can see the little halal sign on it. So it's been sacrificed to a devil. I'm sorry, Allah is not our God. We may use the same word if we're Catholic Arabs, but it's not the same God. And they spin that thing around towards Mecca and do a bunch of gibberish and cut its throat. You can see it right on labels. So if you go in a store and it's not farm lamb like from somebody you know or local meat cutter or something, you better not do it. You can see it. Halal marks on like on... On crackers and all that are just like kosher. That's just a, a racket for the imam to make money, but what it means is they, they don't have any meat or whatever that wasn't sacrificed there. Well, you don't have to worry about vegetable type things that have that little halal sign on it. That doesn't, that's not going to impact you. It's the meat that, that, that's been sacrificed towards Mecca. So, monster drinks. I have a funny story that isn't so funny, but I you know, tell people don't drink those things. There's something wrong. So one gal I knew was tee-hee and ha-ha at me and drank one. Then I had to do a deliverance over, you know, because there's something in them. I don't know what it is, but something happened. And by the way, that applies to all this beer and wine and booze. You go in the store and it'll be like, voodoo this, don't drink it, devil that. All this weird Halloween type stuff, just pass it up. If they're going to put voodoo on their beer, they're saying more than you want to know. And don't drink it. You just could say, would you serve that to our lady? That's a really easy thumb, rule of thumb. If I won't serve something like that to our lady, why am I drinking it? I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, so that's the priest saying, are you an idiot? Yes, you are if you drink it. You are an idiot. I've lived with priests where uh, there was stuff that went flying right out of the refrigerator and into the garbage. Boy, I'm not going to have that crap in my house. And that's the nicest word I can think of it. It's just demonic. So I don't care what people think. That's how it is. And they can think whatever they want about me. That's still how it is. Uh, don't have it in your house. Uh, it's just not good. Okay, so what else can I think of? In terms of blessings and other things that priests don't know, but they should. Uh, most priests don't know. But in the Roman ritual, you have blessings against hoppers, mice, any kind of thing that's infesting. It's all the same blessing. It's called a deprecatory blessing. You can tell the priest a deprecatory blessing. And what a deprecatory blessing is, is a way for a priest to command that stuff on the holy name of our Lord to go off this property and basically to reduce down to a level that's suitable for human beings. The first time I did it, it kind of astonished me uh, because there's about a 10-section place that was just hoppered out. I mean, just you're, you're going in clouds. You'd walk and it'd be about way steep of hoppers jumping up in that kind of cloud, how they do. And so I did the blessing. They went away. I don't know where they went away. That was the first time I said, okay, 
Uh, that's what I say to my, note to self, this is a good one, gotta do that again. But I've done it for all kinds of things. Done it for mice, done it for one place that had the, these wasp nests you couldn't believe. They were literally, you could, there was one that was so big you couldn't put your arms around it. And I've never seen wasps like that. I mean, maybe in other places, but this is in Montana. So I don't know, uh, maybe other places they grow, but it was, it was about half scary to see all the wasp nests everywhere. And so we blessed them and, the nests were there, but the but the wasps kept coming out of them. So it's really a wonderful blessing, but it's in the Rome ritual. And he just sticks in there. So you can put in there anything, whatever it might be. Uh, and you put the word of whatever it is, whether it's, a, whether it's a grasshopper, whether it's a mouse, you know, wasp. You just put it in there. And he doesn't have to know the Latin for it. He can put the English in because heaven understands it. They can get these things in translation as well, but that's the Weller book. But that's old. I don't know. That would be a good thing. Then just in general, in these times, and I think the big sorting out more than anything else, is in the heart. Are we really committed to truth in our hearts? Because we're going to know the truth if we want to know the truth. We might be confused on things, but if we really, really long to know the truth, because our Lord says the truth will set us free, and that's the setting in our heart, then even if we're confused for a while and we're wrong in things, we'll end up being right over the long run. So I'll explain that. What I tell people is, if you get to a moral pickle where you don't know what to do, there's two ways you can decide what to do. The first way is to say, what would be most pleasing to God over the long run? Because I'm not sure what to do. What do I think would be most pleasing to God over the long run? And the second way is, what do I think would be the most charitable? Those are actually the same thing, but it doesn't seem as clear depending on which what, what the situation is. So what do I think would be most pleasing to God over the long run? What would be most charitable? Guess what? Suppose three weeks after you did whatever, you made this decision, you found out it was exactly the wrong one. You were pleasing God because you were trying to do what was the most pleasing to Him or the most charitable. So you were right, even though objectively speaking, you were wrong. So not only you're not sinning, you're pleasing Him. And that's why you all of a sudden found out what the right answer is. Now let's compare that to what's going on right now. People don't want to hear the truth. They run around screaming and stick their fingers in their ears, basically. This is the operation of error. That's why you have all these these poor people, you can't really have a rational discussion on many, many topics with them because they're not open to hearing the truth. It's, it, it turns into a shouting match or they just start lecturing you or whatever. This is really very common. Most people have experienced it when you're talking about pro-life issues and you say something super mildly pro-life and there's no proportion between what you just said and the screaming that ensues or, or the rage or the person stomping out of the room. You're kind of left there going, oh, well, I mean, after a while, you know, it's going. To, they don't want to hear the truth. And I'm not picking on them. They're just really wounded in that area. That's. I'm just giving examples that we need to be open to the truth no matter how much it hurts us. And if we are open to the truth no matter how bad it hurts, we'll get through whatever we're going to go into. And we don't have to worry about it. And we just keep reminding ourselves, nobody gets out of this booger alive. I'm going to die, so I might as well die on the right side. So all I have to do is be committed to the truth, and I'll die where I ought to. All right. So I think that's what I want to say on that topic. And I'll stop there. And if there's questions, I'll try to field them. 
You had mentioned uh, the lamb and stuff. Is there any cases for like chicken or beef or any other meats that you would have to? Well, you just look once you, you once you look. But mm-hmm. I haven't seen it on the other ones. But once you, you if, once you see, if you go in to any place where they have lamb, and I'm not talking about a, you know the local guy, look at it. You'll see what a halal thing looks like, and then you'll be able to you'll notice it on the other things because they'll label it. And if you don't know, like in a big city, you just say, "Is this halal?" They'll tell you. It's not something you can bless and be done. No, no. See, but it's different if you're at somebody's house and they serve you something, you don't have to ask the questions. That's what St. Paul, it's really, really explicit. So when you go to somebody's house, you don't go, where did you get this meat? Where did you get this food? You know, you don't go down this list. If they set a monster drink in front of you, you go, no, thank you, please. You know, I mean, because it's right there in front of you. Or they say, oh, I got this. Oh, don't, like, this is going to be rather random. And for y'all, it won't matter. But when I was in Texas, it turned out that I learned, without going into all the details right now, because it doesn't matter, that they, there's a, a, a restaurant there that was quite trendy, and it was a trendy vegetarian-type restaurant, and it was owned by the Hare Krishnas. Every plate of food was offered up to one of their idols before it come out and was placed on your table. Well, hey, buddy, you might want to look when you go in some of them restaurants at what kind of idols are in there. Speaking personally, if I walk in and see an idol in a restaurant, I got other things. You know, my I I can go elsewhere. I can go dumpster diving before I eat some idol food. If I was to explain it to somebody, what what does that mean? That means they spun that sheep towards Mecca and said some kind of offering toward Muslim offering. Well, they slit its throat. It was sl- it was a, it means it's been religiously sacrificed in a Muslim ceremony. Yeah, facing Mecca. That's what it means. So it's it's actually meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. I know people will say, oh, but it, we worship the same God, but we don't. Cardinal Burke, if you want to look away from me, Cardinal Burke will tell you the same thing. We don't worship the same God, because I know that's controversial. I don't like many things. There's just too much confusion. Since when do Muslims who don't believe in the Trinity worship the Trinity? You know, I rest my case. Just because they say they have one God. Well, big deal. He's a moon God, too. There were 360 there when when... When Muhammad started, because they were, they had 360 shrines there in Mecca, because the tribe he's from took care of the shrines, and he got, he took the moon god shrine. That's why that's their sign of it, and, and got rid of the rest. But I, that's getting into too much Islam. Anyway. Halal is, is meat that has been sacrificed in a Muslim ceremony. The halal symbol on crackers doesn't mean anything. It's like, okay, it's just like the kosher sign doesn't mean you're involved in some Jewish thing when you buy crackers. It means there's no pork or whatever. And for those people, they can buy it going, oh, well, it doesn't have whatever. So in terms of traveling or whatever, when you're not in your regular place, you should pray to St. Anthony to make sure that you eat in places that that are the right places, etc. That you that you stop and get gas or coffee or eat in places that are you're not going to get in trouble. I tell people, say three glory bees to St. Anthony for thanking him for helping you find appropriate teeth, and then say, St. Anthony, pray for us. So three glory bees and St. Anthony, pray for us. If you're not praying when you're traveling, you're going to get hit by something. Uh, it's happened to me. I can take my own advice sometimes. I was driving through northern Oklahoma, coming back to Texas when I was down there. I stopped at a gas station. I got some. I also got some coffee. And here I am. I got. To, I hadn't prayed. I'm just tired of driving along. It's Oklahoma. I'm in the Bible Belt. I have that coffee, and I I'm driving along, and I go to take a sip of it, and it was like so smoking hot. I set it down, 
And uh, I took another one. It Well, it wasn't hot at all. And it got me really, really sick because I put my finger in I couldn't believe anything could be that hot. It was doing something to me. And I'm, if I, I don't know what had happened. I'd drink much more because I couldn't hardly drive. And I realized, uh-oh. So I had to do some deliverance prayers and whatnot on myself because I got nailed by the coffee. You just don't know anymore. Things are too weird. That's probably not happening everywhere. I don't mean just like it is. But how do you know where it's going on? These people are everywhere. So why is he Anthony? Because he's patron of finding things. All right. And what about the, the monster drinks? What What's on the symbol on the monster drinks? I don't buy monster drinks, but I've seen them. There's something I don't know, because you get told things, which I don't know what what's true. But what I will say is there's some kind of curse, there's some kind of spell, there's something attached to them. And that's why I told that anecdote. There was somebody actually told, I don't think you should drink those monster drinks. And they're kind of, well, you know, and uh, and they drank one. And then I had to do a deliverance prayer on them. So, you know, before they knew, they were all right. After I told them, and then they kept drinking them, then they weren't all right. Because I said, I don't think you should do it. There's actually something wrong here. But anything anything where the, you can just look at the label as a Catholic and say, would I serve that to our lady? That's, that's the same thing with watching movies and stuff. Would I show this to our lady? Because she's there. It's a pretty easy rule of thumb. You say, I don't think I'd set a monster drink in front of our lady. Can you clarify blessings from afar? Because I, I get that with different priests. No, I can't bless that unless I'm right there. Yeah, you can't actually uh, convict the sacraments from afar. So you can't do that. But blessings are not subscribed by distance. I'm not picking on any particular priest, but there, I just bless people in purgatory. I mean, that's not exactly right next to me. So you can bless things from afar. But you can't bless everything. So, you know, I can't say decide I'm going to bless all the olive oil in the world. I can bless this olive oil. Do you see what I mean? Intention matters. Oh, yeah. And it's circumscribed by things. So, like, if I'm sitting here blessing a bunch of olive oil on the table and there's some over there, that wasn't blessed because I was blessing this olive oil nobody told me. And then they come up and do it. You say, I just got done. You know, you have to start over again. 